welcome back to Cousin Turn a Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the uh, Last Wish short story, the titular short story of the Last Wish collection. Uh, and my personal favorite out of this lot, it may be my personal favorite in general. I swap uh, and mismatch uh, around um, certain stories. Uh, my all-time like top three uh favorites are usually the last wish uh shard of ice uh and then uh usually th those tend to swap around from number one to number two usually uh and then my third favorite is usually uh also swaps around a lot but uh, is usually most of the time something more um Though it's sometimes uh, something as simple as Edge of the World. It just really depends on my mood, I think. Uh, or a little sacrifice, even. Like, it is. it just constantly swaps. Um, but this is easily, constantly in my top three, no matter where it is. It's always in those th one of the three fir first three slots. Uh, absolutely adore this one. Uh, I am biased, of course. Yennefer is my favorite character the entire saga. Um, and I, I like how we get a sense for her in this, uh, and over the course of the books, we will learn more and more about her, uh, and understand the way she is and why she is the way she is, uh, and just that pure unadulterated confidence and superiority, all of it is a mask, uh, she is wearing, much like Geralt, <laughs> Uh, notice I'm talking a lot about masks with the main characters here. Yeah, that's because that's a theme with these characters, is that they genuinely don't know how to feel uh, on certain topics. I mean, we end this short story with neither of them knew what tenderness and uh, love and gentleness was, but they would find it in each other. Um, like these characters hide behind masks or illusions or walls their true selves because they don't feel like anybody can truly understand them uh and that's why Geralt and Yen are such perfect matches for each other they are made for each other as uh, a certain dragon will say uh a couple short stories from now uh but the thing here is that it starts out between them is almost a cat and mouse dancing the tango type thing where who's in control of this situation is uh is literally constantly swapping it was sometimes it's Geralt sometimes it's Yen and they wouldn't have it any other way either and that that sort of dichotomy between them will be maintained but it will mellow out into something more um lovely as time goes on but here they're their first meeting uh you know they 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 are getting accustomed to each other and like yen is simultaneously interested in Geralt in a sexual manner as well as a scientific manner uh and then Geralt is infatuated by her obvious beauty but needs her for a personal reason to help a friend help dandelion uh and they they're constantly battling each other with wits the bath scene in particular is just so beautiful with that of how they are constantly trying to one-up each other constantly trying to impress each other uh constantly 
and clearly flirting with each other, but they wouldn't say that they're flirting with each other. Um, and it's almost beautiful to watch them dance this tango with each other uh, because, you know, they it starts out small. It's an infatuation between both of them for different various reasons, and over time it grows more complicated. Hell, so just to give an example, with... Geralt, uh, it starts as an infatuation. She's obviously beautiful, blah, blah, blah. But over time, because of his Witcher enhanced senses, he sees more imperfections. You know, her nose is slightly crooked, her chin's not right. You know, it, there's little things about her that are not perfect, that aren't the, you know, classic standard style of beauty of pure perfection, Aphrodite type. And no one would notice those except for someone who is used to being used. And uh, that that's the point of Geralt is he, he knows what life is like being shit upon and used and abused. And he's just tired. He's just incredibly tired. And so when he comes across Yen who stands up for herself, is incredibly passionate and incredibly daring and incredibly self-determined. She is a force of nature to be reckoned with. Um, Sokowski intentionally said that when he created her, he wanted to challenge Geralt, but also to create a character that just twists every classic fantasy trope. He wanted the the, the, the create uh, the the witch type character but who wasn't exactly nefarious she had her own personal goals but she wasn't nefarious she was a damsel but she was not in distress because she could have saved herself um you know there there's all this sort of stuff where she is not your typical uh fantasy heroine just like Geralt isn't your traditional fantasy hero either uh and so you have that dichotomy and he when Geralt notices the these imperfections there's never a single moment where those uh, imperfections get rid of the infatuation the entire time even when you know he talks about that she isn't the standard sort of beauty he still understands Sheridan's uh feeling towards her the matter of uh biochemistry uh because uh he understands what it's like to be different and this continues onwards when you get to the big confrontation with the Jin, and you know she's like, "Say your last wish, so I can capture the Jin." Come on, come on, say it, say it. It's not until he looks into her eyes, in her desperate, pleading eyes, and he notices that she too is hiding behind a mask. <laughs> he notices that she was just like him. She didn't ask to look the way she looked or be the way she is. She is a sorceress and sorceresses are, you know, abandoned girls usually pawned off somewhere. Uh, the Eratuzas will find out and uh, any imperfections have to be corrected. Uh, there's an obvious sexism within the, the mage world, which we'll get into 
uh, where um, I don't feel like this is a spoiler, where the sorceresses have to look beautiful and young uh, and drop dead gorgeous and everything has to be perfect in line, you know, and they have to show off their their beauty in every way possible. And then the men, as we saw with Stregoborn, uh, they aren't expected to look like your classic wizards, your old men, wise, um, perhaps wiser beyond their years. That's that's the concept. Is that uh, within the mage world, they have they're basically have become so decadent and complacent, which we will get into a lot when we get the time of contempt. Uh, especially uh, is that. Uh, this this gendered line amongst uh, at least the northern sources, because there is the, the southern sources are a bit different, uh, as we will come to understand. But uh, there is this inherent sexism where it, it's an inherently patriarchal thing where uh, where basically the the women have to be beautiful and the men have to be wise look wise and this is all from a perception standpoint it doesn't matter if it's the opposite but from an appearance standpoint that's the illusion that must be maintained and so when Geralt sees her and sees that she was a hunchback and she was imperfect and she was disabled and she was all these different things and she was probably a very angry and lonely young woman who was taken in and changed against her will, against everything, simply because that's what's expected of her uh, and forced upon her, he sees someone much like him. He didn't ask for who he was. He didn't ask to be a witcher. He didn't ask to go through these mutations. None of that. It was against his will. And that is the moment he falls in love. Uh, and I love that, that it's clearly an infatuation as the story goes on, and it's clear it's all about beauty, but then he starts noticing all these imperfections, and it doesn't go away. Uh, you know, in, in, in something like that, where it's an infatuation, the more you notice of flaws in a physical appearance, you start, you know, uh, that, that, that infatuation diminishes. It doesn't diminish for him. And then when he finds out, ah, that's who she is, that's who she's hiding, that's her true self he goes ah someone who understands me and he lets his guard down and when he says his wish which the wish is a complicated matter various people have attempted to talk about it uh either people who uh, are part of adaptations from the video games to uh the, uh, the netflix show i don't read the wish as anything nefarious or whatnot I take it very much as he's a kind-hearted man who just fell in love with someone he thinks can understand him in some sort of capacity. And he knows once he says his last wish, the Jin will release, you know, uh, be, be released, have its freedom, and it's already very pissed off. So it's probably going to thrash about for a bit and blow things up and release tons and tons of energy. So he needs a way to survive, or for her to survive, and, for, and he's guaranteed to survive because he was its master. So he goes, effectively, in my mind, his last wish is ensure Yennefer survives this encounter by tying her fate to mine so that she is also viewed as your master. 
That's the way I read that situation. The wish will rarely ever be brought up again. It will only be brought up at least once to my memory. It's uh, been a bit since I've gone through these books all at once. Um, and uh, so uh, I believe it's, it gets brought up once in Time of Contempt. Uh, and I think that's it. The, the the wish thing to me was never major. That, like, like I said, it's a very... Matter of fact, very simple, and that's what's the beautiful thing about it is that no one has ever dared to do something as simple as care for Unifer's well-being, and that's what causes her to fall in love. She t she talks about that 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 n no one has ever said that to me. You know, uh, when he calls her Yen, she's like, no one's ever called me that before. She in her life you know, used to being a hunchback, now a sorceress with all this respect and political power and importance, uh, you know, who's chosen to live in this city that is pretty much banned, uh, uh, you know, magic, but she's intentionally there just to piss them off, basically. There's this implication with her that she's had to fight to get to where she is. Uh, and she is ultimately not really happy. She feels unfulfilled. Um, and no one ever cared truly about her. Uh, and uh, anybody who did, it was very much the Ivanova thing of, you know, there was no depth there. Uh, it was just a passing thing or a stepping stone to get somewhere. It wasn't true feelings. And so Geralt, who used his last wish, he could have used it to become as powerful as a god or as rich as the, the richest king. He used it to save her life. And that speaks volumes to her about who Geralt is and what he's hiding behind his bravado, which she actually calls out in the enchantment scene. In front of the, you know, dreaming dandelion of, I know you're eloquent, and I know, I know you are the only one that believes you're insolent, but you're not. <laughs> uh, she, she just cuts through that. And so she finally, because of all this stuff, and because of that wish, sees through Geralt's mask and goes, ah, that's who you are. I love you too. Uh, and I have, I think it's a beautiful beginning to a love story. Um, you know, uh, I see very much, I think I brought this up when I was talking, talking to Josh, uh, in Edge of the World, uh, when he asked me, uh, how would I, how would I adapt the, the, uh, at least the short stories, I, I see The Last Wish, The Balance of Reason, and A Shard of Ice as a three-parter, because in my mind, it is the three-act structure of a romance film. Uh, you get you got the the meat cute. That's the last wish. Obviously, it's the it's the cute and often humorous. And this story is very humorous indeed. Uh, of meeting between our uh, lovers. Then you have the balance of reason, which is the confirmations of their feelings. They prove to themselves that they care for each other, uh, and have that analyzed for them. Uh, but they're not sure if it can work, and then they try and make it work. Uh, and it leads to disaster and breakup in Shard of Ice. And uh, I think that uh, 
is the ultimate sort of three-parter for the short stories. Um, and I can't wait to talk about Bounds of Reason and Shard of Ice for that, you know, particular reason. Um, but just just outside of the Geralt and Yed relationship in this, this, this short story is just magnificent. It is hilarious from literally sentence one. You know, you have Dandelion and Geralt fishing. Why are they fishing? They're down on the luck. They have no money. They want to eat. <laughs> and then they just happen to get a, a, a an enchanted bottle that holds a gin. And it's just bad luck after bad luck. And it's, it's hilarious. And then you have things like Geralt's first wish. Uh, the exorcism that he was taught being actually just be gone and go fuck yourself. Uh, or uh, Geralt you know, wandering his way into the, into the, uh, into the manor by knocking out the guard with a bag of money and saying, money opens all doors. It's hilarious. And it's perfect. Um, this is very much a lighthearted romp adventure, uh, that is meant to be a meat cute in my mind. This is, uh, the beginnings of, uh, what I would call the 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 family origins, I suppose, uh, Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri. We've had we, we've had the binding of Geralt and Ciri through the law of surprise. Though he doesn't know of Ciri yet, he knows that Pavette is pregnant, but that's it. Uh, and then now he has Yen. Uh, and so that that family, the, the, the core of these books, are starting to form by the end of these collection of short stories. I like the view of magic as well. Uh, the priest crepe sort of uh, crap uh, actually spells it out um, that magic is pulled from nature, from ver the various planes of nature, so earth, fire, water, air, uh, and you can reserve that force within you, and uh, these planes are inhabited by genies, uh, each representing the different elements, uh, and each have their pros and cons, uh, and some are difficult to ma more difficult to master than others. It's a simplistic magic system, uh, and I like that. So here's the thing with fantasy and magic systems. Um, it's been a really recent development that magic has to be hard-defined, hard magic systems. Um, that has been, I would say, development in the past 15, 20 years has really been like the, the hard magic system has become the new in vogue thing. Hard magic systems have been around in various fantasies since the origins of fantasy, but they were never the main focus until I would say about the 15, 20 years where they became the new thing and, uh, you know, uh, light magic systems are, uh, you know, used to be the dominant, but have now become, you know, much more lower key, uh, not as in vogue. And I've noticed that because some people look at The Witcher and go, it doesn't, its magic system is so simplistic. It, it you know, it, it's very simple. There's nothing to it. I'm like, yeah, because that's not the point of the story. Um, I come from the school of thought, uh, that everything in, uh, your story needs to be exposing character. Uh, and uh, when it comes to magic systems, magic systems are fucking boring. I'm sorry. I don't enjoy them. 
I get bored out of my mind. A magic system to me is a tool. A tool to get a carriage from point A to point B in their journey. Uh, and you have just enough within it to prevent the ass pull of, oh, I magic my way out of a problem, which this magic system, you know, as simple as it is, uh, is that way. And we will find out more about how the magic works and various things that stop it over time in the books, uh, proving that while simple, it works. There's no need to add to it. There's no need to subtract to it. it it's there for the characters to begin interacting and to get from point A to point B in their journey. That's all it is. It's a tool. It's a, it's a narrative cheat. It doesn't have to be anything major. Um, you know, I look at the works of Brandon Sanderson, and while I think they're great high fantasy and they're a lot of fun, I often have a struggle, you know, have problems and struggle to, to read through Brandon Sanderson works or anything of that ilk. Because the magic systems and the world building take precedence over character a lot of the time. And I am bored out of my fucking mind. Uh, I have a degree in creative writing. Um, I think it's safe to say I at least understand basic literary theory. Um, and uh, to me, magic is you know, a tool. It's a thing to be used. You can't, you, you, you have to establish enough rules to say, hey, it can't be perfect or it, it can't be used to uh, ass pull your way out of problems, but it needs to just be there uh, to hint at something more, but doesn't have to be fully explained. And hell, explaining it through context clues is a lot more interesting, in my personal opinion, which is what this series will do. I also like how Yennefer, her main smell is lilac and gooseberries, and uh, the, 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 the story behind that is hilarious to me, because uh, Sukowski uh, had never smelled that combination of scents. He just thought it would smell good, because he liked, uh, you know, the idea of it, so he put it in, and it became an iconic thing. Uh, and because of the popularity now of the Witcher uh, saga in general from books to games to TV shows uh, we now can buy you know lilac and gooseberry candles or perfumes and I think that's pretty cool that a scent he had no idea if it would smell good or not turned out to be right on the money and people like it not only for the association of the character and what she represents but also that it actually genuinely smells good um and I, I like how the, the meeting between Geralt and Yen at the very beginning there, uh, when he brings her apple juice, is so simple. It, it, it's so simple. You know, he, he shows up asking for help, and uh, he grabbed the deal of apple juice because, you know, the, the enchanted guy was trying to get it for her. Uh, and he brings it, and it, it's sort of an afterthought. But she takes it as a token of... Oh, cool. You think about me. Uh, and it, it's just funny to see them play off each other. And I like how Yennefer's tenacity, her resilience, her uh, self-determination is on full display. Uh, but there's hints of something more there outside of what Geralt sees. Like, 
people talk about her that she always has her own motives she always has her own plans and it's very clear there when she says you know i always get what i want and she enchants Geralt to of course go and punish the people that you know insulted her um and then Geralt has to take the blame and gets put in jail for it but all of her motives are always intensely personal um whether that is someone slighted her so she wants to you know uh, you know, punish them, whether that is a, there's a personal or political goal that is important to her that she's working towards, or, uh, you know, she eats something related intensely to her or in the future, her family, specifically her daughter. Um, she is always a force to be reckoned with. She is always on her side. You know, we will see this a lot as the saga continues. Yennefer is not on anyone's side except her own, and her own encompasses Geralt and Ciri, her family. That's it. No one else. Nothing. She is not loyal to anyone else but them. They are all that matters to her. Uh, and we see that here that she wanted the Jinn for some purpose, whether it was to gain new power or whatnot, uh, is up to your interpretation. Because in The Voice of Reason, as it will be brought up when I cover that short story, you know, we, we find out about her atrophied reproductive organs. Uh, it could be read as she's using that to hopefully get a hold of the Jinn to either restore her reproductive organs or to grant her a wish to do that. Uh, and the TV show takes that route, which I actually thought was pretty clever. Um, but uh, we we see Yen in full force here, even even knowing that what she presents outwardly is a mask, much like Geralt, we can still see that underlying person underneath and who she truly is, which will come out as the stories in the saga unfold uh, in the near future. Um... But no, this this one is just a brilliant, brilliant short story. And there, there, there's so many little things in here, like, um, you know, the, the mentions of uh, Eskel and uh, Vesemir in Geralt's time at, at Karamorin, or uh, Trish Marigold mentioned all these characters are going to come back and be important. And uh, the meeting of Geralt and Yen in the first place is just so triumphantly important. This this short story is so hilarious and cute and fun and beautiful and sad at the very end where Yen and Geralt have to basically unweave their masks in front of each other and expose themselves for who and what they are. Um, and that is when they make love is when they are truly bearer to each other. Uh, and it, it's a beautiful love story. It's a beautiful beginning to a love story. And that makes what's going to happen later all the more tragic. And what's going to happen in the interim, in the tumultuous relationship with uh, Yennefer and Geralt, where they are together with much passion and then split with much pain, and all the trials and tribulations they will face apart and together as the saga continues beautiful beautiful story so next time i shall see you for the ending of the short stories in last wish collection where we will be covering the framing device on its own uh the the voice of reason i'll see you next time until then bye <laughs>